coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. We have this idea that that we understand consciousness, that science has pretty much figured out what's going on in the human mind, in the human brain, how those things are functioning with neuron nets and things like that. But the reality is there is no consensus on where consciousness comes from, if it's created by the brain or if it's being picked up like a receiver. Probably one of the most easy to understand phenomena as far as ESP goes, the sense of someone staring at you. When detectives are trained to follow people, they are told not to stare at their backs any more than necessary because otherwise the person might turn around, catch their eye, and blow their cover. That's crazy. Yeah, that's... But it makes sense. I mean, even if anytime you, I don't know if you've like spied on someone or uh, didn't want someone to see you, I naturally don't look at them. Like I make an effort to like look I, kind yeah, of around I them. Spy on I know. Someone. What are you doing? What are you talking about? <laughs> we had that one spy mission that one time. Over here. Remember that spy mission we had? When we... I stalk my ex-girlfriends, I usually don't <laughs> look at them directly. No, I don't stalk. <laughs> if I did, I would be a creepy starer. A lot of people working on this are scientists, but they're looking into something that we haven't been able to identify the mechanism of how these things work. So it's parascience, but only because we haven't really discovered how they function. Even with ghosts, we just don't understand how it works. Right, and the point of science is to try to figure that out. That's what paranormal is. It's just reality that we just don't understand yet. Exactly. Think of how much phenomena that would explain. Mm -hmm. You know, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, life after death. Once you develop the science for how this stuff works, it becomes science. Becomes science. Fat lard. I remember wearing husky jeans. Like, literally, that was the brand. How terrible. What self-confidence are you going to have if you're wearing jeans that say husky? Huskies are good, though. You know, wear, like, shirts that say love handles? But that's a lie. Huskies Mm -hmm. are muscular. Yeah. To use that as a word to describe a fat Husky doesn't really mean fat. I guess it kind of does. It did when I was in fourth grade. He's a little husky. Yeah, it just means, like, big boned. It sounds better than chunky. Yeah. That's true. It feels more formed. Chunky sounds like you're, like, bad milk. (laughs) It's chunky. Like a loose soup. Yeah, like it's down bad in the fridge. (laughs) Anyway, ESP. (laughs) (laughs) Conspiracy. Synchronicity. Sasquatch. Homunculus. Alien races. Satanism in Hollywood. MK Ultra. Tartaria. There's like a whole, I've been watching this one guy. Close the door, it. Jury. Close your door. What's the uh... inner earth disagreements? Ghost dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman. Bohemian Grove. Corey Feldman. Magicians are demons. Specters. Spirits. Sleep paralysis. Strange disappearances. Sky whale phenomena. Yes. Alternative history. Shadow people. Shh, quiet. I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. Anunnaki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf towers. I would never talk about. It. That's old. Y2K. Cover ups. Apocalyptic catastrophe. Vampire. Well, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, John. Hey, Chris. Hi. Chris is also with us. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. I just, Jeremy said hello, hello first. That's okay. I was going to say hello me, but it wasn't purposely ignoring your presence in the room. Nope. Well, welcome everybody else. Hello to you. Yes. Hello, beliefings and listeners and friends. We're happy to be back and we're happy to have you back. Yeah. We're excited to be back in the hole. We had a very emotionally intense week watching movies together. We just watched one movie. It felt like a lifetime. When was it? Was <laughs> that Friday night or Saturday night? Yeah, I want to say Friday. Yeah, it was Friday. Yeah, it was Friday. Good old Lake Cinemas. Yeah. We did do something that we don't normally do together. We usually don't spend much time together outside of the show. That's no. true. We have enough of each other with the show. So we went to the Call of the Wild. I picked it. 
I had the idea. <laughs> John likes dogs. Because I never go to the movies. And I was like, yeah, we should go to an uplifting movie this weekend. The show topic is somewhat relevant to it. And I was like, let's go to an uplifting yeah, just adventure movie Forget together. your worries and Oh and boy, sadness. Hang out with Harrison Ford. How wrong were we? <laughs> it was a heavy film. It was yeah. a dark, soul-crushing journey. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think it would be billed as such. But no. it, as you watch it, you're like, oh, why do I feel so isolated and alone? Why am I thinking about all the regrets I have in life? Yeah. Although, because that's kind of what's happening in this movie. It just feels a little nihilistic. It's very nihilistic. Yeah. I mean, the message at the end, I suppose, but the whole struggle of the entire film, you know, and it's very. If you haven't read the book or seen the film, it's it's well done. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's, I think it's, you know, with the CG and the direction of the acting direction, it definitely feels like it's geared more towards younger people. The kids at first, it kind of feels that way. But it is a, uh, it is heavy. Then the darkness comes. There's just so much loss in it. Yeah. It's just like, and you're seeing it through the perspective of an animal's eyes, which is always harder, you know? Right. And this dog is just continuously having to reinvent himself. Yeah. And like starting over everything. and losing everyone he loves. And which it's, is, just, it's great that he keeps obviously overcoming that. And that, those are cool messages. But to me, the more heavier, darker thing was about Harrison Ford's character. That was pretty heavy too. He's basically an alcoholic and he's in Alaska. Or is it Alaska? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he lost his uh, child and he's left his wife because they are no longer who they once were and they can't live together because they can't live with themselves. And so he's left that world to be isolated and alone in nature. In a a very dark and cold part of the world. Yeah, so that's kind of when the dog kind of comes into his life and they have this connection, which is great and beautiful, but these themes of sadness and isolation and loneliness, they never really resolve. Even at the end, I won't give it away. Yeah. Like it's yeah, definitely not a movie. You're like, all right, it's Timmy's fifth birthday party. Let's take him to a movie and get pizza. <laughs> not that one. Afterwards, no. he's Timmy's like, not eating. I mean, for unless a week. you want to shock him into the realities of life, I and mean, death, he may yeah. have nightmares for the next two months. He won't look forward to growing up for sure, because he will realize at that point that anything <laughs> that you have can be lost at any moment. You will <laughs> and, die, and everything you know and love will be gone. Yeah, there was that one moment <laughs> where he, they're like overlooking this vast landscape, they get to that valley, and and there's this narration about, uh, or yeah, Harrison Ford's character's talking to the dog, Buck, and he's like, look, look at these trees, Buck. Your ancestors roamed here, and my ancestors roamed here. Soon we will be gone too, but the trees will remain. They will just, stay and you will be gone. You'll and be so dead. Will. Global warming is real. <laughs> <laughs> anyways. Uh, anyways, but yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was well done. Yeah. And the reason, the reason I wanted to go to it was because it is not really the topic, but it sort of has a lot of elements of what we're going to be discussing today. The, yeah. The animal human bond. <laughs> yes. We're going to be discussing that and how it relates to extrasensory perception and potential telepathy. ESP. Animal ESP, right? Yeah. The extrasensory perception of animals and their connection with their owners. And this is from Angie. She emailed this a while back and there's a story about that we're going to play a clip from that is about this elephant conservationist rehabilitating animals. Mm -hmm. And he worked with these elephants that were unruly and they were going to be put to death, I think. Yeah, that's right. They were traumatized. I won't, I won't give the whole thing away, but she was the one that brought that up and thought it might be an interesting show to do about telepathic bonds and these connections that aren't widely discussed in the scientific realm. So with the elephant story coming up, there's some kind of communication going yes. on. Some unspoken. Sort of, unspoken and from a large distance. Right. These have developed these intangible connections between animals and people that have a strong emotional bond. Right. And that could go beyond, obviously, our our ways to measure any sort of, because there's no, obviously, auditory communication between them. It's this extrasensory. Yeah. There's a guy we're going to get into his research. Um, His name's Rupert Sheldrake. Some of you might be familiar with his work, but he has this theory about morphic resonance and morphic fields, 
which we'll get into a little bit, but it basically allows for a sort of long distance connection and navigation to people or animals that you have a close bond with, where distance isn't an obstacle. He's a biologist and researcher, and he, a lot of his theories don't mesh with the current scientific right. paradigm. Yeah, he's called a pseudoscientist, of course. That's why we're in the belief hole with him right now. That's right. That's why he's exactly. with us here. But yeah, a lot of the scientific stuff that he gets into, I think that with the morphic resonance, mm-hmm. there's like waves or something that come out of our brains that extend long distances. It's sort of like vision, if you think about it. Like you can see really far away. It oh, is, that's interesting. I have a clip of that where he talks about, you got to think about it in that terms of how it's sort of the same thing as vision. Yeah, that's interesting because in the expansion, for those of you patrons who have signed up and blessed us with your bounty. Our wonderful friends. Yes, um, and in the expansion episode coming up later, I'm going to be doing... The mysteries of dreams and dreamscapes, potential realities of of dreams and alternate lives potentially have lived in dreams. Yeah. Um, Lucid dreaming. I'm touching on a lot of different things. Uh, Nightmare visitations, things that are walking into your dream. I did a little sampler of of dream mysteries, dream paranormal phenomena, but what you just mentioned about the way the brain radio wave type phenomena or this idea that our minds are connected outside of our, outside of the physical matter of our brain. Like almost receivers, right? Yeah. And that goes back to Aristotle. This idea of telepathy and this idea of dreams being like a real state, all of that goes back to Greece and even earlier. So yeah, we're going to get into that. It's just interesting that reminded me of that. And oh, okay. Cool. But these are ideas that have been around for a long time. So yeah. we even animal telepathy and ESP. And oh, yeah, John, do you have any experience with the Jake that seem a little more extrasensory? You have yeah, an animal. I do. And I think anyone that's owned a pet has probably had some sort of experience, especially if you're close, meaning like, you're the sole owner or, you know, you, you just spend a lot of time with them. Right. Well, especially you, cause you're, you know, it's basically you and him are the family unit in your domicile. Yeah. Well, this was in Austin when I first got him, you know, I had never had a dog on my own before. And I remember it was like three weeks probably into having him. And, you know, I work from home, so I was with him all day. I was just forming this bond with hey, him. Jake, I'll be right and back. I remember leaving soon, for the first time where I like really left him alone. I think I went for a run and I had the strangest like feeling of our minds just like melding together. Like (laughs) it was just this feeling of like I could sense what he was thinking. What are you doing in my brain? And I was just like, this is such a it kind of made me almost feel like like how you feel probably when you have a child at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like there's especially if you're really in tune with them. I imagine there's just this almost psychic connection that starts to develop. And when you leave for the first time, you, f- you realize how much you love this, this creature. My, in, in, <laughs> in your case. In my case. But I've also, when I've left for long periods of time and Jake was home, I've just felt like there were times, especially at night, where I could just sense that he was missing me. Yeah. So, so it's more a sense of, of his emotions. Not like you're, you're having clear no. pictures of his thoughts. No, it's just more of like, I miss you sort of okay. feeling. Not like, like all of a sudden you see dad's butt and your nose smelling it. <laughs> no. <laughs> like remote viewing through Jake. Right. <laughs> That'd be an awesome skill. No, though. that's what shamans do. You know, we, I'm not getting too much into that, but the idea of the connection and the bonds between humans, animals and humans, especially in the shamanic practices where they literally enter like a leopard. And we'll remote oh, view through the leopard. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other thing, which I didn't have time to get into. But That sounds pretty interesting. If we get into eventually uh, like shaman, psychedelics, and animal and human bonds, which I'd like to do an episode on one day, there's some really interesting... We're laying the groundwork yeah. of this episode. Well, let's get it started with the elephant story. Let's do it. You think? So this guy... He looks like a nice fella. Oh yeah, there's a picture of him. He's got a beard. He was a conservationist. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I do I do talk about the his background. But this is from the CBC in... 
2012, he died. Oh. So let's just fire up the clip. Conservationist Chris, by the way, not conservationalist. All right, here we go. Elephants. Lawrence Anthony was a conservationist and author known as the Elephant Whisperer who passed away on March 2nd, 2012. In 1999, Anthony rescued and rehabilitated a group of wild South African elephants who were deemed dangerous, and the animals appeared to remember what he did for them. When Anthony passed away, a group of elephants visited his house in the South African KwaZulu for a two-day vigil, according to his family. <laughs> That's awesome. Anthony, who grew up in rural Zimbabwe, Zambia, and Malawi, was known for his unique ability to communicate with and calm traumatized elephants. In his book, The Elephant Whisperer, My Life with the Herd in the African Wild, he tells the story of saving the elephant herds at the request of an animal welfare organization. Anthony concluded that the only way he could save these elephants, who were categorized as violent and unruly, was to live with them. To save their lives, I would stay with them, feed them, and talk to them. But most importantly, be with them day and night. When Anthony died of a heart attack, the elephants, who were grazing miles away in different parts of the park, traveled over 12 hours to reach his house. According to his son, Jason, both herds arrived shortly after Anthony's death. They hadn't visited the compound where Anthony lived for a year and a half. But Jason says, in coming up there on that day of all days, we certainly believe they had sensed it. While it's hard to say how they could have sensed that Anthony had died, elephants are known for their grieving rituals, both in the wild and in captivity. According to many researchers, elephants grieve the deaths of their relatives as when a child or parent dies. That's Aww. beautiful. <laughs> that was inspiring. Too. It was. Good work. Did you hear them coming through the, the plains of Africa? I did, yeah. <laughs> was, they're like marching forth. Very triumphant sound. Yeah, like. and what's interesting about elephants is you know they're really smart. Yeah. They can paint and stuff like that. Well, and they're very emotive. Yeah. Yeah, they have the rituals of the death rituals. Mm -hmm. and Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people out there know, but if you don't, the elephants will visit um, graveyards. Elephant graveyards. Elephant graveyards. They, and they can argue that like, oh, well, you can conjecture about what the purpose is for the elephants to go there, why they do it, if it's instinctual. But a lot of scientists have consensus that there is grieving. There is this almost genetic memory that they will revisit the graves of ancestors that have passed generations previously and they'll make treks to They're these like graveyards. Traditions, right? Mm -hmm. Like what's the word? Rituals. Ritual. Yeah. 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 It's, there's this need and they they seem to feel it. It seems like some of the stuff I've seen on that, that they have a deeper ability to feel than even humans do in the sense of like loss and mourning. Well, they're not distracted by iPhones. I was just gonna see the exact same thing. <laughs> that's it. That's not true. yet anyway. They're already painting. They that's might be true. getting, that, might be getting you know that's the end of the world. Can't they cry? Elephants? I think yeah. all animals. Well, allegedly. Can't all animals they cry? They get teary. I don't know. I don't know if birds cry. I mean, cry because of emotion, not just because like the tear ducts Dumbo get. cried a lot. Yeah. That's true. That would be the end of the world if you wander into the African Sahara and then there's a little elephant who's holding up his iPhone, like ignoring his mom. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so sad. Uh, yeah, but that's an interesting story. Uh, so essentially, they came to mourn the loss of their hero and friend. Yeah, the guy them. that spent his life basically saving their lives. Yeah. And so he had these deep emotional bonds with them and, you know, to show up. I think they said it was like a year and a half since they had been there. Yeah. And it was like a day after he had died and they stayed there for two days and just paid their respects yeah. and then went along. That's so amazing. Yeah, the stories of these long distance traveled is pretty common when it comes to extrasensory animal perception stories. 
And some of the more, even more fascinating ones are when these animals are traveling to places they've never been to before to try to reconnect with these people that they share bonds with. This is, yeah, this is where it gets a little bit more interesting because obviously, you know, these animals, you know, they, they knew where this place was right. and it, you know, it was already in their brains. Like there's things like smells and landmarks that they could have used to get right. back. Homing, yeah. But the stories we're going to get into, all those clues are eliminated. Right. So there's something beyond smell and landmarks and things like that, that these animals were able to travel extremely long distances and find their yeah. owners. They get one more pat on the head. Is that uh side tracking or side trailing? Side trailing. Yeah. Side trailing. Homing. Well, homing is different, right? Homing is when you use those clues to find your way to a, a familiar place that you've been before. Oh, I didn't know that there was a difference. Yeah, side trailing is when those clues are absent, and then when they're using some sort of extra sensory perception to we find their way. don't even understand yet. Right, yeah. and side tracking, psi, comes from psychic. Right. But it's not just the idea of locating. There's these uncanny experiments and anecdotes that people have about shared thoughts from master to animal and vice versa. Right. Not only be able to read when someone has left work and is heading home or thinking about it, but when they change their mind. Yeah, that's interesting. And speaking of these ideas of uh, the science versus the parascience, right? Are they reading signals that we can't see, but they, you know, they're scientifically based? We just haven't discovered it. That's kind of what a lot of the stuff seems to me is a lot of people working on this are science people. They're scientists, they're doctors, right. PhDs, biochemists, what have you. But they're looking into something that we haven't been able to understand or identify the mechanism of how these things work. So it's parascience, but only because we haven't really discovered how they function. Right. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily woo-woo, uh, psychic phenomenon. Not and magic. Ghosts. And ghosts. All this stuff is, if it's real, then it's science-based. We just don't understand how that works. And it's so easy to just label yeah. it. Like, it's not science because we haven't yeah, figured well, it out. Yeah, well, that's like, even with ghosts, it's just like, if that's a phenomenon, we just don't understand how it works right, or and what it is. the point of science is to try that's, to figure that out. That's what paranormal is. It's just actual reality that we just don't understand yet. Exactly. We talked about Edison before who tried to speak with the dead using technology. I mean, yeah. once you develop the science for how this stuff works, it becomes science. Right. We've talked about the difference between paranormal and supernatural before, where paranormal is basically like the undiscovered country of science related to these fields where something supernatural is more spiritual. Like just straight up, you know, magic. Yeah, but is, isn't that still the misunderstanding of how that stuff actually works? Well, the, the definition of supernatural is something like, something that can never be understood by oh. by human minds. Really? Yeah. Seems like a I'm limited pretty definition. Sure. <laughs> I have to double check that, that definition. <laughs> that's Chris's per, definition. Yeah, I'm pretty sure but that's either the way, I think it's true that the further you go with understanding reality, right. whether or not we could ever understand it with our minds, Everything has an explanation. Yeah. We may just be limited in our capacity. Even if the explanation is we can never understand. Exactly. Because it's, you know, like how can a computer avatar understand the, the computer program he lives inside? Well, and this is what's you interesting know. to me about this episode and about these topics is that we have this idea that, that we understand consciousness, that science has pretty much figured out what's going on in the human mind, in the human brain, how those things are functioning with neuron nets and things like that. But the reality is... There is no consensus on where consciousness comes from, if it's created by the brain or if it's being picked up like a receiver. Even memory and stuff like that. Exactly. They don't understand memories at all. At least I think that's right. They know how memories can be stored in the brain. They understand how synapses can connect to refocus memory, but there's still so much like we don't know exactly why certain sounds can help dementia patients and Alzheimer patients to remember certain things. Emotion, how do you feel? Why do dreams or memories make you feel a certain way? And, right. And what the mechanism for making that happen? Basically, the idea of consciousness right now is that it's basically like a live feed of thoughts, right, that we're having, but we don't know what thoughts are. We don't know 
how they're being they created, where they come from. Is it a pool of energy that we pull on that's like a biomechanical thing? Is it have some sort of material residue that maybe eventually we can weigh? Or does it come from somewhere else? Are we receiving consciousness? Right. Which I think I'm leaning yeah, more and more towards. Me too. I think it's definitely, it would explain a lot of these It would explain out-of-body experiences, yeah. uh, supernatural ghost experiences. Our brains are just Also, in. it would explain like when people around the world have the same ideas at the same time, like movies yeah. and, you know, sort of concepts. Or pyramids around the world. monkey same. syndrome sort of thing. 100th monkey. Is that like the typewriter thing? Uh, no, it, else, it's right? like relates to a study where a certain amount of monkeys learn something and then it just becomes common knowledge. Oh, okay, like okay. genetic memory. But, but through like a telepathic sort of connection, I yeah. think. Yeah, there's so many examples of that where something seems to spurn automatically uh, around the world that just coincides with whether it's an animal species or the human species developing something at the same time. You know, a coincidence, if you will. A coincidence. A synchronicity. But speaking of scientists and scientism and those that are scientifically minded, yeah, you're going to bring up a fellow, right, who's deep in this field who is himself a scientist, right? Yes. The research that we're focusing on today comes from a man named Rupert Sheldrake. He was a biochemist at Cambridge. He also worked as a principal plant physiologist at the International Crops Research Institute for the Semi-Arid Tropics in India. Wow, that's a mouthful. That is. I barely got through that. (laughs) But he developed this theory called morphic resonance. And this is what pertains to our topic today. That theory posits that memory is inherent in nature and that nature systems inherit a collective memory from all previous things of their kind. Sheldrake proposes that it is also responsible for, quote, telepathy type interconnections between organisms. Interesting. Yeah, so the root of this idea, I think what explains a lot of this stuff is what we kind of mentioned in the introduction here, which is the idea of morphic fields. So this comes from sheldrake.org. Morphic fields underlie our mental activity and our perceptions and lead to a new theory of vision. The morphic fields of social groups connect together members of the group, even when they are many miles apart, and provide channels of communication through which organisms can stay in touch at a distance. They help provide an explanation for telepathy. There is now good evidence that many species of animals are telepathic, and telepathy seems to be a normal means of animal communication. Telepathy is normal, not paranormal, natural, not supernatural, and is also common between people, especially people who know each other well. In the modern world, the most kind of human telepathy occurs in connection with telephone calls. More than 80% of the population say they have thought of someone for no apparent reason, who then called, or that they have known who was calling before picking up the phone in a way that seems telepathic. Controlled experiments on telephone telepathy have given repeatable positive results that are highly significant statistically. Details available in the sense of being stared at. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people have experienced that phenomenon before. Like, I was just thinking about my so-and-so friend, and then boom, phone call. Yeah, I haven't heard from him in a year. Right. That happens to mom all the time. Yeah. Definitely. He's an empath. A lot of people, I think, had... We're going to get into the next topic about being stared at, which I imagine most people... Right, have picked up when someone's staring at them. It's a very bizarre feeling. I really want to do this and go out and do an experiment and just like have us go out and just start staring at people. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be funny to see the reactions when we're just... Just they turn around, there's th- three men three staring. <laughs> three all generally seeming to look similar, just staring at them. I saw this like reality show, I think it might have been The Mentalist or, or something like that in the UK, I think. There's the one scene where this guy, he was doing these like, uh, quote, supernatural or, or paranormal experiments where he would... And they, they weren't because to him, it was, he was a mentalist, right? So he just, he hid his demon magic behind science and <laughs> mental work. 
but he um he would sit up in this second story window and as people walked down the street he would pinpoint a person and stare and get them to turn around and look up at him and he would do it regularly over and over and you know it's a show maybe it was set up but it goes right in with that idea of being stared at maybe he somehow had the ability to enhance his his presence in the morphic field and get people with like little ticks on your head turn around like and look. a mental telescope exactly or a mental like a uh, slingshot even where you get someone to like no, actually it's a mental telescope <laughs> okay either way you know what i'm saying but you're yeah. right this is it is the that's the idea of the morphic field that there is a something that extends outward from you and outward from others that there, when there is that interaction you can pick up on it and especially if you're close to that person or yeah. animal or if you're just really practiced with it like this guy yeah well let me play that clip from rupert sheldrake this is called the extended mind and it goes in the theory of the morphic resonance sort of thing, but it's just kind of expanding on what we're talking about a little bit. Play it up. What I'm going to suggest is that our minds are field-like, that they're not confined to the inside of the head. They spread out into the environment around us. And because our minds are extended beyond our brains, they can, can have effects at a distance, which are surprising from the conventional point of view and help to make sense of a range of controversial phenomena like telepathy. I'm suggesting that minds are field-like and spread out beyond brains in a similar way to the way that magnetic fields spread out beyond magnets, cell phone fields spread out beyond cell phones, and the Earth's gravitational field stretches out far beyond the Earth. The place where this becomes easiest to understand is in terms of vision. And what we know is that when you see me standing here now, for example, light is reflected from me goes through the electromagnetic field, inverted images appear on your retinas, changes happen in the cone cells, then impulses travel up optic nerves and various bits of your brain become active. That's what happens during the physical side of perception. Man, that makes so much sense when you start to think about why wouldn't it be a field? Right. Why wouldn't it work as a field, your mind? If we know there are brain waves that are being created. Why would we just assume that it's limited to what we can pick up at a close range on the brain? Right. And think of how much phenomena that would explain. Mm -hmm. You know, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, life after death, thinking things at the same time. Even like the same things ideas. like chakras. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, especially when you have all these other examples like cell phones and magnets. Right. All these invisible fields exist around us all the time. Why wouldn't it exist within us too if, yeah. with all these you know, phenomena that occur. Yeah, and if you consider the idea of, the, of consciousness being, you know, a signal that we're receiving from somewhere else, or even if it's even if it's a sort of spirit or ego or, or daemon or whatever that is encompassing our physical matter, it's still being received into this physical form, whether it's from God or an alien civilization far advanced, or whether it's, you There's know, a shared simulation. Like, amoebic, morphic, singular life form that's activating inside different nodes Different, you, you know, and your nodes. humans and animals. Nodes and touching on things. <laughs> well, nodes are great. He's going to name his son Node. Let me touch on a node. <laughs> <laughs> touch on this node of truth. No, but there could be like the idea of singular consciousness, right? That everyone is connected, everyone, we are all one, that kind oh, of right. new age kind of idea. But if at the greatest level, you, when you have that death experience and you feel like you've gone back, you've come home to this great oneness, that would make sense if that, there was a source of consciousness like that. Call it God, call it universal consciousness field, whatever it is. It's one gigantic living life form in a sense that is experiencing the world through these different receivers we call people and animals. Right, right. That's an idea. Yeah, I've heard that before. I just made it up, Chris. No, this is very I must common. must have tapped in using my morphic field. Well, speaking of tapping in, it also makes me think of the Akashic Records. It would explain that sort of idea too, where there's this you know, massive collection of all human knowledge that's ever existed somewhere that people can tap into. Like Edgar Casey, I think, talked about it. Mm -hmm. 
But if there's this non-localized idea of consciousness, that it exists somewhere else, we're receiving it, you know, and we talk about these morphic fields thing, it kind of explain the phenomena. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about this a few minutes ago, but this is a really common and probably one of the most easy to understand phenomena as far as ESP goes. It's the sense of like someone staring at you. Yeah. And, um... So this is from the book, The Sense of Being Watched? No, this is actually from the same book. It's I don't even know if we mentioned it. It's Robert oh. Sheldrake, um, Dogs Who Know Their Owners Are Coming Home. Oh, right, yeah. And we'll have it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Most people have, on occasion, felt other people looking at them from behind, and most have also looked at others from behind and found that they turned around. Surveys show that between 75% and 97% of Americans and Europeans say they have experienced the feeling of being looked at. People take these experiences for granted, and the sense of being stared at is well known to people who watch others professionally, as I have found through an extensive series of interviews with detectives, surveillance personnel, and soldiers. When detectives are trained to follow people, they are told not to stare at their backs any more than necessary, because otherwise the person might turn around, catch their eye, and blow their cover. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's if it's well known enough that they they practice. Because it's like, it's a... It is a real life mortal threat. Not to be skeptical, Stephen, but I would like to see the uh, the training manuals that reference. Like it could be like one guy that was like, you know, probably, I feel like this happens. Let's no, let's Jeremy. Go. It's it's basic. <laughs> it's all detectives ever. It's basic uh, paramilitary science. Any like, infantry men and women out there, if you want to write in, let us know if you've ever come across that. I think that it's training. for like undercover detective work, like people that are hunting people. That makes sense. I mean, even if because anytime you, I don't know if you've like spied on someone or or uh, didn't want someone to see you. I naturally don't look at them. Like I make an effort to like look I, kind of around. How are you? I know. What are you doing? What are you talking about? <laughs> we had that one spy mission. The creeper one time. over here. Remember that spy mission we had. When we... I stalk my ex girlfriends, I usually don't look at them directly. <laughs> no, I don't stalk. If I did, I would be a creepy starer. You're right. We were hired to do some private eye work once, and we one did. Time. Yeah, that was a, what. You didn't hear about this? No. So we had someone. We were hired. Okay, what are you talking about? No, <laughs> we were hired. Uh, so you know, we do photography and uh, like reality stuff and some uh, portraits and work and things like that for hire. But someone said, "Do you do any like PI photography work?" Who Surveillance. asked you? I'm not, I can't. I won't say. I'll it's, tell you off the air. It's you a friend. Guys, it was a friend, and they yeah. asked you, "Do you do any PI work?" Yeah, it dealt with like a relationship and something that may have gone down that was kind of really kind of important to the to the person's life that he needed to know. Anyway, hey, so do you guys we, do any PI work? I know you pretty well, but <laughs> is that sort of something you do? I know right. you're freelancers. He's like, yes, I have cameras with telescopes on them, right? <laughs> right. So we uh, we went to this fair basically and found his Jeremy. ex. We had to kind of stake out the place until we, it was thousands of people there. Jeremy, and I'm wearing this outfit, like I stopped at the Goodwill. And <laughs> this I have this. Is so ridiculous. <laughs> I, have, I have this old hat on that I like popped the, the bill up on. I have these prescription glasses that I found at Goodwill and just popped the lenses out. They're really giant. And I walked around looking like this. Chris, you look ridiculous. Because this person knew. Like I just changed my character. We had met our target once before, once She's or twice, twice before, twice. Just enough. To, if we were standing next to each other, walking normally, she would probably recognize us. Keep right. Well, this but, is d- the dumbest thing: is you're twins, and the mo- you get the most attention everywhere you go because you're twins. Right. Why did you do we it didn't together? Do this. Jeremy was on the camera. We were separated. I was the scout. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you, so you weren't standing next to each no, other. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> we're better PIs than that, John. Yeah, come on. <laughs> we're pretty good at this, Chris. Oh, so, uh, we cracked the case. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but the point was, I we ma- cracked the case every time I looked looked at this person, I felt oddly more connected to right. the She's recognition of her knowing I was there. Your she intention knows. was there. Right. So I made a conscious effort to avoid much, I, not eye contact, but having her in my vision path. Right. You know, Didn't you feel peripheral. kind of gross doing that? Yeah. Well, the thing was, it wasn't like, you know, was this person cheating on this person or what, you know, it was kind of an important thing that this person who hired us to do really needed to know. And it wasn't going to damage her life in any way. It was really just 
for his own kind of peace of mind and like, without getting further into yeah. it. And I didn't take, I had the camera, but I didn't take any pictures of that. would be kind of, I think, inappropriate. But it was more of just to get a view. Right with your telephoto lens. The situation, yeah. Wow, that's something new. I have not known about my brothers. Yeah. They have spent a brief stint being <laughs> private detectives. But it did make me learn that I absolutely for sure don't think I would ever want to be a PI. Maybe for like, you know, if you're trying to track down a murderer and the case has gone cold and the cops stop looking. I'd hate to do relationships. Yeah, stuff. relationships stuff is just too Remember that sketchy. show where like they would like... Confront- oh, Cheaters? Yeah. Oh my God. What delicious garbage it's like food Jerry that was to watch. Springer mixed with oh, like so PI work. Yeah. Reality TV. So terrible. And yeah. there's that like old white guy that'd walk in and be like, so I see you're uh, banging this lady now. Tell me so, about it. So yeah, we have uh, Angela with us and we'd like to know what you think it's about that. To catch it seems a like this won't go wrong. I'm pretty sure he was stabbed once. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I remember that. And I'm kind of the- asking for it. I mean, he made it a long time before he got stabbed. <laughs> Look, I'll do the show until I get stabbed. <laughs> and then I'm out. And I want a big severance package. <laughs> well, I have a clip for uh, a little bit of a follow-up kind of to the being stared at phenomenon. Oh, cool. This is actually a study that was done with closed circuit television. Oh. It's a real short clip. Rather surprisingly, this phenomenon also occurs through closed circuit television. Various experiments have been done whereby people's skin uh, conductance is measured with electrodes on their fingers. This measures emotional arousal. And it turns out that there's a significant change in people's emotional arousal when they're being looked at through closed circuit television by someone on a monitor in a different room. That's interesting. Yeah, that's weird because it's not direct eye contact. Right. It's literally through, you know, CCTV. the conversion of all of that electricity. And Did he say, say they measured on their skin? Yeah, they had electrodes measured that could measure emotional arousal. Oh, weird. That's crazy. Through closed circuit television, which I don't know exactly what closed circuit television it's is. Like it's like a surveillance camera. Yeah, if you ever see like British investigative crime dramas. Yeah. It's the, it's the cameras they have everywhere over there. The point like basically on this road, this happened. What do we have? And we have it in cities. I mean, I wonder, I'm just too. wondering how that's significant to that study. Well, I think it just means like people are out there's and no about. Other... They don't know when they're being watched, but there's cameras everywhere. Right. But closed circuit, I wonder if it has something to do directly with the study of. Oh, like be, the There's no other, like with closed circuit, there's no other chance of any interfering yeah, I signals. Think, I'm pretty maybe. sure closed circuit television just means it's not connected to a wider network. Like wouldn't a surveillance camera in a room be a closed circuit yeah, TV. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so basically, any, just a controlled. There's no room. signal interruption. Like if you had an iPhone, that would probably not be closed circuit. No, it has the, more more connection to an outside network. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I guess it's more limited in that way. But that's just crazy. That so that has to do more with the ESP intention. stuff. Yeah, and just like it's about. Did you say intention? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and not so much direct eye contact, which right. is, gets even broader. Yeah, because yeah, it, it it starts to point to the idea that these morphic fields. They're not necessarily geolocated to one area. Like, you're, let's say you're 10 miles away from me and your geo field I can pick up because you're 10 miles in a direction. It seems like it's almost uninhibited by distance. It's outside of time and space. Or direction. Right, which is funny because that relates to what we talked about off air a little bit, but the idea of a spooky action at a distance mm-hmm. where you have these particles that can be on the opposite sides of the galaxy, but they're connected. And when you have something occur to one of these particles, it immediately has a response a galaxy away. Yeah, you're talking about quarks and subatomic particles, right? It's down to the subatomic level, I think. Max Planck type stuff. Yeah, it's spooky action at a distance. I'd love to get more into that, but 
Well, that deals with uh, D-wave computing, the computers that are based on that, using that as signals to transfer information. They're, right. They're so fast because it's it's literally instantaneous. Yeah. Would that be like if you guys were separated across the universe? Yeah. With- well, that that's the thing, man. We you know in the probably we'll get more into it in the dream section, the Patreon episode. We'll get a little bit into twins because twin minds. To me, it's we just happen to have a set here. We right here, right there. <laughs> but Jeremy and I, it seems like I've always kind of wondered if the reason why we've had these sort of paranormal experiences, whether it was sharing a dream being chased by zombies in a school bus, or whether it was uh, Jeremy waking one. up or thinking he was me until he realized he was wearing his socks because he doesn't wear <laughs> socks. Um, sometimes I wondered, is there something about, you know, if brains are receivers for consciousness, and if you're living in close quarters to someone who has an identical brain with the identical parts and positions of all the gray matter, maybe it just it's easier for that brain to pick up the same signals that are being received by that brain. Maybe it's resonating at the same frequency. Yeah. Like the exact same frequency. Exact same DNA. It's just, it's an interesting idea because we've definitely had telepathic experiences. You should tell about the story when you were babies and you wanted to have surgery. Yeah, that was, that's one of the best ones because it was, you know, family was around to witness this happening. And you were too young to really even understand. Yeah, I didn't remember it. But basically we had had hernia on the identical parts of our bodies but mirror imaged so we were mirror twins so you I'm both a, had a hernia yeah same time we so, had surgeries scheduled separate times oh i didn't know that yeah so chris is left-handed i'm right-handed so everything we're mirror twins monoamniotic mirror twins so everything is identical but opposite yeah i'm cool he's lame right can you tell by cool jokes like that um <laughs> touche so yeah so we often have issues like if we had medical issues like we'd ha- i had an ingrown tooth on one side and he had the exact same ingrown tooth but on the opposite side so physically, we had identical characteristics, but that were exactly opposite. So we had hernia at the exact same time on different sides. And it was while I believe, where you were the one in the hospital yeah. getting your surgery. He was scheduled for surgery. And right at the moment, according to our family, they couldn't put Chris under. The anesthetic wasn't working to yeah. put him to sleep for the surgery. And at the exact same time, back at Grandma and Grandpa's house where I was being babysat, um, I fell asleep in my macaroni and cheese. Right, and they couldn't and wake him up. They couldn't wake me up for like an hour. Oh, that? Yeah. I never remember that yeah. part. Yeah. It's almost as if the anesthetic somehow passed through me to him because it didn't, wasn't it having an effect. my brain. Chris is like, I don't want to go to sleep. I'm going to send this to Jeremy. <laughs> I thought that it was had more to do with when the surgery started and... I was the, screaming. You were sc- <laughs> someone was screaming like it was hurting them. God, I hope that's no, not what no. Happened. It was the sleep. How did I get that to It was the thing? anesthesia. Probably because he always wanted us to be in pain. <laughs> <laughs> it's wishful thinking. That's hurting. That's yeah. weird. <laughs> But then, yeah, that's an example of an ESP type experience with with this kind of um, ethereal connection, energetic right. connection. And one day when I get um, my hands on that book, it's called uh, The ESP Enigma, The Scientific Case for Psychic Phenomenon. I'll put that in the notes, even though we're not covering it today. But that is a big, thick book of some of the best evidence for human to human ESP. Yeah. The paperbacks, like you can get it for like... Yeah, four hundred bucks or something. There is a hard copy for Maybe twenty after though. Maybe we get rich. Yeah, I get a hard copy for twenty. I, mean, I don't mind carrying around a hard copy if it's saving me three hundred dollars. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it needs to be more lightweight. We should take a break, guys. Yeah, it's a good okay. time for that. And uh, we'll be back. We're gonna get a little bit more into his research with dogs actually coming home. Yeah, and um, some, bound. some amazing journeys of these animals, inexplicable distances traveled, some life-saving stories, and also some warnings, premonitions that animals seem to know earthquakes and avalanches and Divorces. other catastrophic events. Right. Awesome. All right, we'll be back in a minute. Bye.
Pick up. Pick up. Pick up. Hi. Thanks for calling the Bleep Hole Hotline. Oh, thank God. Got a spooky story? I do. I do. It's all real. They're outside no right... No one's available to take your call. But you can leave what? your story at the sound what? of the tone. No, 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 no. No, 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 they're, they're outside right now. They're outside. Day. No. Do you have a spooky story? Don't wait until it's too late. Give us a call. Beliefhole.com And we're back. Yes, we are, Jer. Welcome back. You get to do it. Thanks, Ja. We're back, guys. Ja? Ja. Well, everyone shortens my name, so I'm going to start doing it to you guys. Wow. John Cri. Welcome back, Cri. guys. John Cri. That's real lazy. I did that the last episode. Chris was like, what do you... Yeah, Jerry, you were talking. I was like, yeah, Cri, but then I cut it out because I felt Does like... Does it, it bother you to be shortened? No, I just feel like it deserves a shortened response. Jeremy is a bad name to begin with. And John is a short name <laughs> for Jonathan. Not for me, though, because I've always called him And John. I am Chris for Christian. So, Jer for Jeremy. <laughs> it just sounds like you you forget the rest of my name. We'll just call you what, what Grandma called you when she got older. Jerry. 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 God, who you were. All right. Onwards to the show. Let's get after it. All right, guys. We're back, and you are back, and we're glad to have you back. And now we're going to get into some fascinating occurrences regarding animals and extrasensory perception. Yeah, well, we've been talking about oh, that, that's but true. specifically... Specifically, extraordinary travels. No. <laughs> Owners that know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Animal. You know, you want to skip this part or something? No, no, it's good. <laughs> I have not owned an animal. I did a lot so. of research for this part. No, I like your your stuff on it. I just, you know, I didn't do anything on it. Well, John could take the wheel on this one since you you don't like animals. Apparently, I love animals. I just don't have one. You don't want one. I want one. I need a home first. Mm, I need okay. a home for my animal. Shut it. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> All right, John. <laughs> All right. So we know who Rupert Sheldrake is at this point. He wrote a book called Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home. And this is kind of like... Adorable. Adorable. It's <laughs> the idea that animals can sense when their masters are coming home. And he actually did studies on this for quite a while and found that some dogs... Well, I don't want to, I guess, step on the clip that I'm going to play. But essentially, it just means that this is kind of the stepping stone into the homeward bound journeys where they do these studies that can sense you know, when their owners are coming right. home. The most convincing evidence for telepathy between people and animal comes from the study of dogs that know when their owners are coming home. This anticipatory behavior is common. Many dog owners simply take it for granted without reflecting on its wider implications. So I'm going to play a real quick clip of... I always want to say Sheldon Rupert, but it's Rupert... (laughs) Sheldrake. Rupert Sheldrake. Such a weird name. Sheldon Rupert's pretty weird too, though. (laughs) They're both weird. They're interchangeable, though. So he's, he just kind of talks about what I just said about the dogs. And then we'll see if we're going to play a little bit, a clip of the actual experiment. Okay. Many dogs know when their owners are coming home. Cats do it too, and a number of other animals. They seem to anticipate the arrival of the person by going and waiting at a door or window. Or in the case of parrots, they sometimes actually announce verbally who's going to come. They sometimes know 10 minutes or more in advance. The reason I think it's telepathic is because we've actually done experiments to test this. The obvious standard armchair skeptical explanations are that it's just routine timings, a biological clock, clues given by people at home, the sounds of familiar car engines, that kind of thing. So what we've done is experiments where people go at least five miles away, they come home at random times they don't know in advance, communicated to them by a telephone pager. 
They come home in taxis or other unfamiliar cars. No one at home knows when they're coming. The position where the animal waits is filmed continuously, so we have a con continuous video record the whole time they're out. This shows that some dogs, not all, but some dogs reliably predict the return of their owner over and over again in a way that's highly significant statistically that shows that it must be something like telepathy because it can't be explained in any of these other standard ways. Interesting. Yeah, I like the one of the parrot. Sometimes parrots will verbally... Yeah, they'll be like, Harry's coming. Regina's on her way. Regina? Regina? <laughs> uh, Good name pick. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. That is creepy. Regina. Isn't it Regina? That's <laughs> uh, creepy to think about the parrots. You know, like if you're at home and say you're visiting your dad or something and he got this new parrot or he's had him for a while and then he's like, Harry's coming home. And then you're like, what are you And then all of a sudden he's pulling out the driver like, what? How did you know? There's stories. I didn't actually copy them, but... Because I thought parrots weren't super interesting. That's because you're a dog guy. Yeah, well, I mean, we also had to limit the amount of stories. Right, but it's a lot out there. You cut out the one that could talk. Yeah. <laughs> I can pull it, I can bring it no, back. No, no, it's okay. I mean, it was yeah. like, intruder on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Murderer in the yard. <laughs> Lotto numbers, 5-4. Well, that'd be good. But that's creepy and... Uh, not creepy. The parrot, I, I mean, it's not creepy, but it would be creepy to hear not expecting it. It would be a little, it'll be a little um, unnerving. Unnerving, Yeah. Yeah, especially at first, but especially at three. And yeah. I don't think actually the stories would say like Harry's coming. Maybe they would say the owner's name or something. Oh, okay, but it wasn't like Harry's it coming. It sends, sends like a right. pickup of activity. We're like two yeah. miles away <laughs> <laughs> at red light on the air. Five miles from home. You just said that. Uh, Not that funny. <laughs> uh, so, oh, so this, in the study, he mentioned he had continuous video rolling. Right, mm -hmm. and we'll probably put a link to that in the show notes because it wasn't like two shots. Of the like, you had a sh simultaneous video of back at home, and then a right. simultaneous video. They synchro this was study was done probably in the early two thousands, maybe even the late nineties, and they, you know, they didn't have the technology they do now, but they used two time codes, yeah, which basically syncs the cameras at home. Right. I don't think I'm going to play the whole video, but essentially, they left the home. The camera crew and the producer left the home and left the dog with the owner's parents, and. They didn't tell the owner where they were going or what time they would be back. They didn't tell the the parents that. They went out for the day, had dinner, had lunch, you know, they shopped. With, didn't they go with the owner? The owner went with them, right? The owner went with the producer and, and the, the film crew. Yeah, yeah. But they made the decision on when to come back. Right? Yeah, okay. the, the owner had no idea when they were coming back. Okay, okay. And so they went out for the day, had lunch, and towards the middle of the day, the producer's like, okay, it's time to go home now. I mean, I guess I could play that part from that point. Sure, yeah. So they're out in town, they're sitting on a park bench, and I'll just play play the clip from that part. So the point of not telling the owner is so that before the owner left, he couldn't like whisper in the ear like, "Expect me." Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just giving another layer a buffer from exactly another, from knowing right another control. In yeah, the, in the which makes it even more interesting because it's not like if you think about it, if it's telepathy, then you know the owner could sense right at that point like, "Okay, I'm coming home," and it would hit the dog or right. whatever. So this is even like more, more layered than that, right? Although it happens. Right when I'll, I'll play it. Okay, yeah, let's do it. It is now almost 1 p.m. Half of the time planned for the experiment is already over, but we are the only ones who know this. As already mentioned, the time of the return is kept secret. Neither Pam nor her parents at home know when we will be back. Whether the experiment will succeed is still open. Nobody can predict whether JT will react as usual under test conditions or whether the camera and light will irritate him. 
That's the dog, right, JT? Yeah, JT's the dog. Now, things get serious. It is 10 to 3. Our editor gives the signal for immediate departure. The camera shows the current time, 14.50.07. Oh, we've got to go back now. Right, so I've got to... You have to get a pixie. So yeah, they're just getting ready to go back. It's time to go home. And now they stand up to leave as also JT's on the floor. And JT gets up right as they leave. <laughs> That's crazy. At 14, 50, 33, 11 seconds after our distant departure, JT walks to the window. Ooh. The experiment was successful. Dogs are telepathic. So that's essentially the high point of the story, but... Yeah, right. the, the, the point of that is that it can be documented. Like, this has been documented, and also, I think one of the... I've read a few of these stories, and some of the most fascinating ones were ones where someone changed their mind and did not return. So there was an example of someone who was supposed to be... or was going to be coming home, and they didn't know when... Their partner didn't know exactly when they were coming home, but the dog re, or the cat reacted as if it knew they were coming home, and went over would sit by the window where they always wait... And every time the person arrives, it's always like 10 minutes before that animal moves there. So mm-hmm. the guy knows, oh, my wife's coming home. So the animal goes over there and then after like 15 minutes gets confused and kind of wanders around, goes, goes back and sits down. And a couple hours later, goes back over. And then he, when she gets home, he's like, did you, were you going to come home about an hour and a half ago and then change your mind? She's like, yeah, actually, we just, we're going to go visit my parents right. last minute. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So it, it, it's like that definitely shows this sort of not necessarily precognition, but picking up like a telepathic impression of their intention. And when it changes, it changes in real time. Almost like you can read their thoughts. Right. Or at least read that impulse. Right. I'm coming you know? home, not coming home. Right. Coming home, not coming home. Well, and that's the thing. It's almost like it got the impulse that the person was going to be coming home. So it moved to the door, but then it got confused when he never arrived. So it might not have gotten the, I changed my mind, go back and rest now. Well, it's, but then it got, it got another signal that I'm coming it again. It seems to be like, oh, that was the documentary I watched from In Search Of with Animal ESP. But there was a, a situation where they contacted this animal psychic or animal communicator. It, it, was a, it was a veterinarian who had worked with hundreds and hundreds of animals. And uh, he got to a point in, in his career where he was, he was just interested in seeing how far he could push diagnosis and see if he could you know, use any of these other tools at his disposal. And he was skeptical at first, but he brought this lady in and uh, asked her to look at this horse that they had without analyzing the body or looking too much at it, just be in the space with the horse and tell them what's wrong with the horse. And she she was able to pick up messages from the horse. And it was they, an image, it was a visual and image. And that's how they come. They come as pictures. Mental images, yeah. yeah. And, and when she talks about training people how to do this at home or whatever, it's always about receiving images from the animal. So she received images from this horse of jumping over a, uh, it was a jumping horse, jumping over a fence for their tricks. And as it landed, shooting pain up the front legs of the horse. And right where she was talking about were exactly where these micro fractures in the bones were of this horse. And that's the pain that the horse was feeling and they were able to help diagnose oh, crazy. the condition. That, well, that makes sense because they don't have language. Exactly. Know? So it comes in forms of, of visions, of, of pictures. So if the animal can pick up the emotional intention, that can come in the form of an image of like, oh, heading home now. Well, that's how psychics work too. Right, picking up, yeah. A lot of the times, it's a lot of its mental imagery. Right, it's not like, oh, this murderer confessed in my mind. It was... Well, and how often do you think in words? I mostly yeah. think, right. unless I'm really stressed or something, or I'm planning something, strategizing, I might think in words once in a while. But mostly, your thoughts are just like image impressions yeah. that, that come and go. Right, that's interesting. Interesting stuff. It would be funny if they did communicate in a language and they had like a strange accent. That would yeah. be funny, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> like a dog accent? I don't know, like some imaginary animal accent. Like, hello, I'm coming to get you. I guess it's... <laughs> we couldn't even more begin to imagine what an animal accent would be. 
That's true. All right. Continuing onward into <laughs> good conversation. <laughs> Is there everything else on the coming home bits? I don't think so. I think okay. we can jump into the... Uh, Extraordinary travels. Extraordinary journeys. Homeward bound. Extrasensory navigation. Nice. That, is, is that how they did it in the movie, Homeward Bound, that classic animal film? I don't know. I don't think they touched no. on animal ESP. I think it, they probably just They were just kind of guessing. Yeah. They, <laughs> they just, got lucky. Yeah. That's why they, were, they had Chance, right? He was a lucky Chance. Dog. I forgot about that. Michael J. Fox voiced him, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. That's why I took that nickname in sixth grade, Risk, because it was, it was like Chance, but it was Risk 2.6 oh was my gosh. nickname. And then he was also like a cyborg. And then he had got a shirt for school camp and he got it in Spanish, so it said Pergunta. <laughs> so the most unflattering. What's that have to do with anything? Because <laughs> you looked, you were kind of rotund at the time. Yeah, I was so like happy in sixth rotund. grade. Rotund. Chubby little boy who had a Pergunta shirt he wore every day. I got that day. because we had to pick a nickname and I wanted it to be in Portuguese because we'd oh, gone to Brazil. Right. Not a good nickname. No, to pick, and I was though. like, well, I can't think of anything. What's Portuguese for question? <laughs> Pergunta. That, that's a good, it's also that's a good word on the back chubby. of my it sounds like it means chubby, rotund. especially on, on, on a small chubby child I was at the time. That's a good description, rotund. I've no, I haven't heard that. Ever. ever since then, I just call husky little kids perguntas. Yeah. That pergunta. Fat lard. I remember wearing husky jeans. Like, literally, that was the brand. I How know. terrible. Yeah. What self-confidence are you going to have if you're wearing jeans that say husky? But it was a cool dog. It was their logo, so it was okay. Huskies are good, though. You know, wear, like, shirts that say love handles. But that's a lie. Huskies are muscular. Yeah. To use that as a word to describe a fat Husky kid. doesn't really mean fat. I guess it kind of does. It did when I was in fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> He's a little husky. Yeah, it just means like big boned. It sounds better than chunky. Yeah. That's true. Husky does mean like you have some muscle to you, I think. Yeah. It feels more formed. Chunky sounds like you're bad like milk. a... <laughs> chunky. Like a loose soup. It sounds like bad milk. Yeah, <laughs> like it's gone bad in the fridge. <laughs> anyway, ESP. <laughs> Extraordinary journeys. Yeah, these are some of the most fascinating stories to me because it definitely goes to that idea of something more paranormal that's going on here. Sidetracking, right? Sidetrailing. Sidetrailing, yes. As opposed to homing, which we kind of talked about in the beginning. So yeah, and the, again, what makes these sort of more um, paranormal is that these dogs are in unfamiliar areas. They're, they're dropped off. If it's an experiment or if it's a real life experience, they find themselves in unknown areas, sometimes thousands of miles away from familiar land, property, Landmarks. and owners. So in these examples, there's nothing to give them clues, like we talked about earlier. And those are the stories we wanted to focus on for this episode. Right. Uh, Jerry, do you want to take away the first one? Yes. The clearest evidence that animals' sense of direction does not depend on memorizing smells along the route or other details of the outward journey comes from cases where the animal was transported by aeroplanes. During the Vietnam War, scout dogs used by U.S. troops were taken by helicopter to the war zones. One such dog, Troubles, was airlifted with his handler, William Richardson, into the jungle to support a patrol 10 miles away. Richardson was wounded by the enemy fire and was airlifted to a hospital. The other members of the patrol simply abandoned the dog. Three weeks later, Troubles, the dog, was found back at his home at the 1st Air Cavalry Division headquarters in Ankai. Tired and emaciated, he would not let anyone near him. He searched the tents until he found Richardson's belongings, then curled up and went to sleep. God, that reminds me of Call of the Wild. Just, like, sad. Yeah. Like, seeing oh, it, it imagining a dog, like, just roaming through the woods without his owner. And just, like, he shows up. Yeah. They abandon him. I guess they're soldiers. They're Probably to survive it. Did Richardson... The um, soldier, did he die? It said he was wounded. Did he end up dying? I don't know. It didn't say. Eventually, I mean, he's probably dead now. Well, it's been a long time. <laughs> Maybe not, though. I mean, dad's still alive. Dad's alive. alive. He was in Vietnam. That's true. He was airlifted out, wounded. Dog's probably dead now. 
The dog probably isn't around. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's still at the tent. Um, yeah, no, that's a fascinating story. The next part here is, John, your bits. I don't know. Okay, yeah, this one's kind of interesting because it has to do with water. Another dog that could not have homed by following familiar smells along the route is Todd, a Labrador. <laughs> Todd the dog. A Labrador who fell overboard from his owner's yacht a mile off the coast of the Isle of Wight in the English Channel. He was given up for dead by his owner after a four-hour search, but Todd was swimming across the Solent, the strait separating the Isle of Wight from the mainland. He swam at least 10 miles, first across the choppy sea, and then up the Biliulu River, <laughs> landing near his home. He had not attempted to reach the nearest land on the Isle of Wight, a mile from where he fell into the sea, but instead headed homeward. That's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. It's because that definitely goes to show like he's no smell out there. Right. He could, I'm sure he could, I mean, if he smelled anything, it would have been the land closest by, you know, who potentially could have seen that offshore. That's crazy to swim that far yeah. too. I mean, that's, that's, and that's not a lucky of, guess. That's not a lucky guess swimming 10 miles, you know, against current. Just 10 miles. Yeah. I mean, that's how close was he to the nearest Island? Like a mile. So he could have maybe seen or smelled or something. That's what I was saying, yeah. Yeah, but he goes the other way. And even if he couldn't home. see or smell that, to end up at your home, you know, this is just crazy. Yeah. That's where you end up. Like, that's not an accident. What an amazing animal. If any of you are near the Isle of Wight, by the way, that's where uh, David Icke lives. Oh, really? And there is some weird stuff Was that this goes David, on there. David Icke's yacht? David Icke's dog has <laughs> his yacht. I'm sure he has one. <laughs> uh, there is some weird stuff that happens out there. Interesting. Um, that, and are we covered reptilians a little bit in the previous story and when I was doing research I want to do an episode just on some of the that area and um, there have been people stumbling supposedly across like uh, satanic rituals in the woods where they've witnessed reptilian looking individuals involved in some sort of ritual and all these kinds of weird things there's UFO sightings and stuff I was just digging around in the internet but that's, that name just popped up in my head hmm, another synchronicity Pile of White we have to do an episode on synchronicity at some point since they follow us around like Lies. Like mad yeah. dogs. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I'm going to paraphrase this next story. Basically, um, this is a bird, a pigeon. There was a man that owned this pigeon, and he apparently gave this pigeon to his cousins while he was traveling, which was 3,000 miles away from his home. Gave this pigeon to him for some reason. You guys watched my pigeon for a while? And uh, I guess went home after that, and they were transporting the pigeon to a larger cage, and it just took off and ended up back at his house 3,000 miles away a month later with like a lot of its feathers gone and yeah. just wow. dirty and you imagine back. just seeing the bird like just show up <laughs> yeah like all his feathers are gone all his creamy 3,000 miles away is no joke I mean no you have to feel pretty bad too that you you're like I'm sorry I dropped you off yeah <laughs> with my cousin he like, hated his cousin. yeah he was not a good uh, animal host to you yeah that's uh, that's pretty crazy so but pigeons have that they're yeah, the homing pigeons, right? right? It makes kind of sense. Right, that, that they could track. But that is an example of like if he'd never been to the location. Because usually, yeah, I guess that's true. You can train. I wonder how they train homing pigeons. Maybe some some of you listeners out there know, but carrier pigeons or homing pigeons, how they train roots for carrying like messages when they used to, if you could just drop one off and then have it return. Or if you had to like train it. Train it. Well, that's yeah. the thing. It doesn't explain homing when it comes to the sense of, because there's routes. It's like migration. There's migration routes. And they've even explored the idea of they've had um, birds out of necessity having to change their migration route mm. like within one generation and will still somehow get back to the place, nesting grounds or whatever, but coming from a completely alien environment because for whatever reason they had to detour or whatever. And within one generation, the next generation has changed that migration right. route. So there's that. that's the idea of the resonance memory, morphic resonance. It's not just a single stable magnetic line that they're following 
right. along the earth. Exactly. It's, it's some kind of signature. Yeah. You want to do the next one? Yeah. Okay. So some of the ones that I really like are the ones that are uh, date a little further back. Um, one of my favorites is um, about this dog that is owned by this ambassador. In 1582, Leonard Zolikofer left his native St. Gall, Switzerland to go to Paris as an ambassador to the court of the French king, Henry III. He left behind his faithful dog, aptly named Fidelis, which means like loyal, fidelity. Mm. Two weeks later, the dog disappeared from St. Gall. Three weeks after that, he rejoined his master at the court of Paris, exactly at the same time when the Swiss ambassadors were being led into an audience with the king. The dog had never been to Paris before. How did he find his master so far away from home? It would be easy to dismiss this as a fanciful tale, but for the fact that there are many such stories and even more heroic tales of canine devotion. True. Like this next one. Jerry, you want to read that? <clears throat> the Prince of War. One of these stories dates back to the First World War. Prince, an Irish terrier and musician, was devoted to his master, Private James Brown, of the North Staffordshire Regiment, and was inconsolable when this young man was posted to France in September 1914. Then one day, he disappeared from his home in Hammersmith, London, and to everyone's amazement turned up at Armentieres a few weeks later and tracked down his master in the trenches in a frenzy of delight. Because no one could believe the story, the commanding officer had man and dog paraded in front of him the next morning. Evidently, Prince had attached himself to some troops who were crossing the English Channel and had then found his way to his owner. He became the hero of the regiment and fought beside his owner for the rest of the war. In both these cases, the dogs were not homing or going to another familiar place. Yeah, that's a crazy story. England of France, and yeah. then into the battlefield, and then into the trenches to find his owner. And then he fights with his owner. Yeah, I wonder how... <laughs> I can see Jake alongside Johnson. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, what he did to help the fight. Um, well, it depends on what kind of dog he was. Moral support. Perhaps. Carried a gun? He was a terrier. In his mouth? Carried a gun. It's just extra bull ammo, little tongue trigger. <laughs> I think we can. This next part's interesting because this gets into the idea of even after death, like kind of goes back to your yeah, story about the elephants. Right. Um, these are some of the more fascinating stories to me. So either where someone is in a perilous situation um, where they need help immediately, like a lassie kind of situation, or after death, these are the next two stories. Some animals seem to know when their owners have died, even if they are far apart or when they have had an accident. These various phenomena can be described as telepathic. But could a telepathic link be directional? Can these bonds connect the person and an animal in a directional way, as if they are joined by an invisible cord? That's kind of how I think about it. I almost feel like there's some sort of like, you know, this silver like a leash, cord? one of those extended leashes. Yeah, it's just this like energy light beam or something yeah. that, you know. The always there's a connection. This invisible electromagnet. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it, yeah. it, that's kind of how I envision it mm -hmm. anyways. Telepathic umbilical cord. Yeah. This first story, um, you'll recognize the main character in this, the main uh, real life person in this chair. Do you want to read this one? Cave Rescue? Sure. Cave Rescue. Sometimes the ability of dogs to find their owners has actually saved the person's life, as in the case of Yuri Geller. Oh, I'm familiar with uh -huh. him. Good guy. Um, the celebrated Spoonbender. Around the age of 14, Geller was living in Cyprus and loved to explore the hillside caves above his school near Nicosia. Usually he went with friends and stuck to tested paths. This time he did neither. Quote, I got lost deep in the caves, cold, wet, and terrified. I spent two hours hunting with a failing flashlight for a way out. Finally, I curled up into a ball and prayed to God that someone would find me before I starved to death. 
as two of my schoolmates had. That's sad. I'll never know how my dog, Joker, reached me. I'd left him miles away at my stepfather's hotel, but huddled in the darkness, I heard him barking, and suddenly his paws were on my chest and he was licking my face. Joker knew the way out, of course. It was as if my prayers had summoned him. That's a cool story. It's like Lassie. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's a really insane story. Yeah. That's like Rin This Tintin. is Yuri Geller? Yuri Geller. Remember that guy? Yeah. He was part of Project Stargate. He was before he became the famous uh, psychic. Spoonbender. And Spoonbender. He was involved with the CIA's testing to try to find legit psychics to remote do viewing. remote viewing. That's that's a whole episode we should do, this Project Stargate stuff. But I just thought it was fascinating. I came across the story. It's Yuri Geller's story. Yeah, we actually had a listener just write in about remote viewing that we, we need to do an episode on coming up soon. So we'll have to get to that. I think yeah. it was Matthew. Matthew Schwer. Yes. yes. Um, so we'll, we'll do an episode on that because, yeah, there's a lot of connections. And Yuri Geller, he's a fascinating case. A lot of people are skeptical about him. Definitely but, uh, a controversial figure. Yeah. But I think he had, a, he had a, a UFO experience early on that supposedly gave him these abilities when he was a kid. Some, something about a, a light in his backyard. Um, Pretty common experience for people. <laughs> right. I think it happened when his dog found him. That's where it started. The dog was the, dog the alien. Was, yes, I knew it. Maybe that's part of the reason he was attracted to. He was able to do that. He had some sort of like alien stronger ability. abilities of psychic connection. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, maybe he sent the image to his his dog child. Maybe maybe his being in that situation, it was a trigger. Yeah, his mind had to accommodate. Like when you lose a sense, fight or flight, fight or flight. So maybe his brain opened up, and then this developed out of necessity like when a mother picks up her car right when a child's stuck under the car and she gets that extra strength maybe Yuri Geller like his brain popped a little and all of a sudden he just sent sent this beam of intention to and then he went on to bend spoons and work with the government that's right interesting that's right John you want to read the next one yeah this one is called graveyard visit consider this one from Joseph Duller of Graz Austria my father-in-law had a small farm and on it he kept a watchdog, Sultan. One day my father-in-law became ill and was taken to the hospital by ambulance. A few days later he died and then was buried in the local graveyard, five kilometers from the farm. Several weeks after the burial, the dog was not seen for days. This seemed strange to us, as Sultan never used to stray, but we did not make much of it until one Sunday a former employee came along who lived near the graveyard. She told us, Imagine when I went across the graveyard the other day. Salton lay at your family grave. I cannot fathom how he could have found the way all these five kilometers. There were no footprints of his former master that he could follow, and he had never been taken to the graveyard, not even to the fields, since he had to keep watch at the house. How is it possible that he found his master's grave? Yeah. That's an interesting story too, because if you believe in like the soul and you know, hopefully you're not stuck in a graveyard. You know, mm-hmm. that you'd be sending, hey, come Maybe, visit me well, here. Well, if you think about the animal, the elephants, like it's mm-hmm. almost like paying respects to yeah. the body. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, there's some kind of resonance left there. Right. That they could pick up on and be like, it's my, the last place, yeah, physical place you I say, can though, go. That's scary. Well, that's the thing. If you <laughs> yeah. if you can find where your loved one is laid to rest, you know, like you think about when you have a close family member die, you can't visit their person, their personality, their spirit, their consciousness anymore. So you go to the only, the closest thing you can is their their lifeless shell. Right. You what know, if the spirit's still close to the grave too, though? Like they haven't be. completely decided to leave. Right. What was that on? Was this a movie I just watched or, or a documentary or something where, or no, it was that show, um, Sharp Objects. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, where the girl said, uh, she said, do you think when we die, part of us stays here? Oh yeah. And part of us moves on. Yeah. That's an interesting idea that, because if your soul is not a singular thing, but it's a part of this larger consciousness, maybe there's a residual 
energy, a residual piece of your of your personality that may remain while your greater soul, your super conscious moves on. Or maybe that's a possibility. I think it's very possible. Um, I've even thought of, you know, the idea of like twins maybe before birth are one sort of consciousness and then divide, you know, or maybe that's everybody's consciousness is at one point, one large consciousness and divides to have more experiences. Right. So for sure, I think that's definitely possible. Interesting. Um, What do you guys think, huh? What do you guys think? You guys think out there, you got any pets? Got any pets? Got pets? pets? You got a parrot? Got a a bird? Yeah. If you got a parrot, do a speak pipe, have the parrot, leave us a message. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Hello, believeful. Believeful. Sandwiches. Calling <laughs> from Connecticut. Um, so I'm not going to get into the idea of animal-animal telepathy, like animal to animal. But as John kind of mentioned earlier, that seems like sort of an obvious thing. If you consider what we've been talking about, human to animal, it would make sense that animals have this ability. And you see it, you can argue that the movements of birds and the instantaneous sort of directional changes they make, which we still don't understand, it could be one of these examples of this morphic field they're all sharing. You know, so they be, they sort of start to operate as one entity. But there is one anecdotal story I'm just going to kind of summarize, but it was a mother who she was sold separately from her calf during like a beef auction. And they get separated. Mother, mother cow or like a human mother? Oh, that's going to make me sad. Mother cow. Well, there's no death. It doesn't matter. I eat Boiler. beef. I was just to make you sad because <laughs> there's, talking death, about there's a cow. death there. Well, that they care so much. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're okay with you eating them, John. Okay, good. So, uh... <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so the, the mother gets separated from her calf, and the, I think the farms are like five miles apart they end up at, and the mother goes missing. Somehow it gets out, goes missing, and then is found like the next day, five miles away in the random direction through perilous, you know, travels or whatever to get to her calves, and they find her with the calf next to it, and they could tell it was her because it was the branding from the other uh, herd. The mom traveled five miles to find her. They better yeah. let them stay together. Well, until they get sliced through the throat and then yeah. no, I think hung they, upside down. They actually got them their own little cattle house that they could live in for a while. <laughs> and start a family. They earned it. Yeah. Yeah, but there's so many of these stories, so many of these extraordinary travel stories. Millions of examples. Gazillions. But yeah, we just wanted to touch on some of our favorite ones. You guys had these experiences at home? Feel free to share with us. Yeah. Any pet owners have any extra interesting stories? Send them in. Any ghost dogs out there? Any ghost cats? That'd be good, yeah. I wonder if there's any people out there that have had like experiences with their pets after they've crossed over. I've, I've heard a lot of stories about that throughout my years on this planet, but it'd be here, it'd be cool to hear some uh, fresh ones from our listeners. Yeah, we are beginning an archive of listener stories, um, encounters, weird paranormal phenomena that's been experienced. Um, we're starting a database on our website and things that we can pull from for future listener stories episodes or anywhere where it makes sense in, in the show topics. So if you know anybody who has stories or you have stories, just send them in and we can start this library and that'll help feed the whole. You can record them. It's it's almost best if you just record them, if you have the ability to record them at home and then send them over. But if not, we have, uh, you can go to believable.com and click the speak pipe button and that will take you to a way you can just record it over your phone. Yeah, you got 90 seconds to do it there right now, but you can record multiple if you don't finish your, your tail. So, or write them in. You, you can also write them and in you too. can write them in too if you don't like your voice. Yeah, that's But if you want to live forever in the hole, Send us your story. <laughs> that yes. sounds scary. I don't want to be stuck in the hole forever. <laughs> I'd like to visit. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, we are going to play our first Patreon stinger um, for Greg. Greg. And it does have to do with animal telepathic All communication. Right. I'm excited to hear this one. And uh, we have Raina coming up at the end. And we wanted to thank Fonz real quick for his uh, stinger. That was very generous of you. And yours will be coming oh, for up. For his, uh, oh, the new oh, higher the, tier. The higher tier, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. awesome. Thank yeah, you, man. Thank you, man. And that'll be coming up probably next episode or the episode after. 
and we're still working through the backlog. So we're going to try to get that done in the next couple months. So this first one is for Greg and I don't want to give too much away from it because play it. Okay. Chill. Thanks, Greg. Those are the guys that went out and discovered the legend of oh, the Yeti. Uh, they have those great footprints. We taught him a layer. What is happening? Hey, Greg. It's me, Groot, your dog. Greg, the show has been a real eye-opener for me. <laughs> I think because I've listened to it so much, I can talk to you telepathically. It's pretty crazy, right? These guys are so funny. <laughs> Anyways. Thanks, Groot. I wanted to thank you for being an owner. You're a pretty good owner. Most of the time. <laughs> but I'm kind of tired of the dog food that you give me. It's not very good. <laughs> so maybe you could fix that. <laughs> Other than that, things have been pretty good between us. <laughs> Keep listening to the show, you know. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. He's so chill. Yeah. I just want to thank you again for uh, loving me so much. And uh, maybe we could go for that walk later you promised me. <laughs> All right? Don't poop out on me. <laughs> Don't poop out on me. I need that walk. All right. I'll talk to you later. People eating portals. I wonder what happened to him. Do you think he was food or do you think he got transported? That's somewhere? a great question. There's no way to know. Unless we try it ourselves. That was great. <laughs> I love it. Wow. I like when it went into the telepathic mind of, of Groot. It was just like we were just like underwater background noise. Like yeah. I like how it was like pushed out to the outside. That, that made it feel he like honed you're it in. in his brain. Yeah, he honed in that telepathic message. That was great. Thanks, Groot. And thanks, Greg. You guys are awesome. He was, yeah, he had almost. I bet you feed Groot well. Yeah, it was just in fun. I think Groot's just spoiled. The only reason I said that is because my dog just is a spoiled brat when it comes to food. And yeah. He's always just like, give me the best. He had this underlying tone of like threat. Like when he was talking. <laughs> like a little passive aggressive. Yeah. Like oh, little, yeah. It was definitely a little yeah. passive aggressive. <laughs> I wouldn't want that dog watching me <laughs> all the night. Uh, yeah, no. I appreciate it. Hey, hey, Greg, where's that walk? Yeah, I like that. That was great. Thanks, Groot. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we will have a couple more stories. And you have some stuff on animal premonition relating to disasters, right? Yes. Cool. All right, guys, stick around. And uh, I think right now we're going to drop in a little preview of what's to come in the expansion episode for those of you great listeners who support us on Patreon and help us keep the show going. So if you like this preview and you are interested in the topic or any of the topics we've done in our Patreon expansion episodes, we're starting to get a pretty good collection in there. Yeah. So. Every time we release a regular episode, we release an expansion episode, which is equally as enthralling. Of equal or greater value. Yes, exactly. That's a good way <laughs> and, to say uh, it. Yeah. So go to bleefhole.com. If you need more hole, jump over there and there's a, we're starting to build up a collection of extra episodes. That's right. Bleefhole.com. Click on the Patreon button and sign up, guys. What was our last one? Snallygaster. Oh, God. That was so fun. That, that was, was a fun, fun one. one. Get in there, guys. Well, this one was fun, too. So yeah, we'll see you in the expansion. And uh, for those of you who are not yet signed up, we'll see you after the break. All right. You know, if you think about the astral plane as being a a place that is not only populated by dreamers and people 
who are transferring between life and death, but also a potential place where other creatures just live, other entities live, dark right. entities, good entities, but live in this sort of in-between state. Even if it happens naturally to you, there's a lot of stories about people that have near-death experiences where they are all of a sudden in the midst of something that wants to prey upon them because they're now on their plane. Mm-hmm. You know, like they say, like in, in the waking life, in our life, we have an ability to ward off some of these spirits and things that try to attach themselves to us because we are still alive. We have that life energy. But in that passing in between this world to the next life, that in-between state, there are allegedly these things that exist within that state that can be dangerous that want to feed on you. And even in a just the course of passing through to you know heaven or hell or whatever you think comes after, in that in-between state, people have reported seeing these creatures or these entities that are there to feed on or trick you. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a scary thought. Mm-hmm. But th- the idea is that is it's just another ocean of life that exists that we can't see. That's just one step away from us, but in between this life and the next, right? Or you in know? between this reality and the, the dream reality, right? Is that all kind of the same kind of mucky soup of reality? Is that I'm dream? I feel a little mucky. <laughs> just talking about, it, I feel mucky. Starting to lose my center on reality. I feel like that happens too. We've talked about this even before we started the show. But when like, you start talking about it a lot. It you start to feel airy. reality dissolve a yeah. little. It is strange. You start to feel. It's almost like the feeling of like watching surgery. That sort of unsettling, like oh, I'm flesh. You know, oh, right, like, right. It's just that unsettling. Oh, what is? This I Me, mean, it's really? like the atmosphere in the room changes. Because I mean, now we do this so frequently. I don't feel it as much. But we we used to get together once, twice a year and have these conversations. It would be almost like the lights dim in the room in an energy way, not like in the lights literally dim, but there's this feeling of all of a sudden like a claustrophobia and the lights have dimmed and things just don't feel as physical mm-hmm. when you start to really get into these conversations. Probably part of it's because you're picking up on that perception of what really is that other astral existence, you know? I don't think it's as difficult to leave this body and go into like out-of-body experiences. I think sometimes it just happens. We're back. Hello. Welcome back. Now we are about to get into disasters, right? Premonitions of disasters and warning signs from animals. Animal premonitions of right. disasters, which is what you pretty much just said. Exactly. Our uh, morphic fields are not quite interlinking. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Why don't you read the first part, Chris? Okay, cool. Um, does this come from the same book? Yeah, this is all from... Awesome. It is a great uh, work, you guys out there. If you're listening, you're interested in the research, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, but it goes deep into the research. So if you're interested in more of these stories um, and some of the more, more of the experiments too. Before an earthquake, animals will have different features or feelings. Horses, donkeys, cows, and goats don't want to come back to their stalls. Mice flee from homes in groups. The chickens fly onto trees and pigs try to destroy their styes. Ducks and geese are frightened to go into water. Dogs bark in sorrow and pain. Hibernating snakes wake up unusually early. Swallows, pigeons, and other birds fly away. Rabbits have their ears straight up and bounce around, knocking into things. Fish feel they are threatened and are terrified. They stay near the surface of the water without moving. Interesting. Yeah. So these next... They all react kind of differently. It's creepy, the fish. They just are still in wait. Just staring. Yeah, they're like so scared that something's coming. They I just, think you'd have to realize something was off if you saw that happen. Definitely seems like they're all trying to get away from the surface of the planet. You know, fish are like at the top of their their little world of water. That's the top of ours. They can go higher. 
in that story you have coming up, well, I won't spoil it, but about the attic, you know, like going to high places, you know, getting away uh, yeah, from the Is that one ground. of your stories? The cat in the attic? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, there's a story of this cat like three hours before an earthquake or this lady's cat ran upstairs into it the attic. a bad place to go though. Yeah, but it had never run up to the attic before and it ran up. She could not get it out of the attic three hours before this massive earthquake that destroyed like the center of the city, mm. basically. Ugh. Well, why don't you read the first earthquake story, Jeremy? From 97? Yeah. Okay. On September 26, 1997, a major earthquake, 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 yum, <laughs> major earthquake devastated the Basilica of St. Francis in Assisi, Italy, and caused much damage in nearby towns and villages. Shortly before the earthquake, many people noticed that animals were behaving strangely. The night before, some dogs barked much more than usual. Others were strangely agitated and restless. Observers said that cats seemed nervous and disturbed, and some went into hiding. Pigeons flew strangely. Wild birds fell silent a few minutes before the earthquake struck, and pheasants screamed in an unusual way. Some changes in behavior of animals were noticed several days beforehand. Silvana Kakarucci reported that a friend told her, don't go to eat at the taverns by the river in Faligno, because there are rats all along the river, big ones. At least a week before the earthquake, people started saying that Oligno was invaded by rats. I have been living here for a long time, and this never happened before. Rats were everywhere, but nobody connected it to the earthquake. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Let me read this next story, and then we can talk about it for a little bit. In recent centuries, the strongest earthquake to shake Europe happened in 1755 at Lisbon, Portugal. It resulted in enormous devastation and was so powerful that the Earth's motion caused church bells to ring as far away as Sweden. The earthquake was discussed by many contemporary writers, including the philosopher Immanuel Kant, who wrote about the signs of an impending earthquake. Quote, animals are taken with fright shortly before it. Birds flee into houses, rats and mice crawl out of their holes, end quote. There were reports of, quote, multitude of worms coming out of the ground eight days... Okay. Coming out of the ground eight days before the Lisbon earthquake. <laughs> little worms. Eight days before the Lisbon earthquake and of cattle being highly excited the day before. The cattle are having a good time. They're excited. It's party, earthquake party. Yeah. Party, earthquake. <laughs> 1997, 1755, it's earthquake time. That's good. I like that. Um, Obviously, like the skeptical argument is what that there are tremors before an earthquake. They're picking, there's having higher sensitivity to these things that are being picked up. But you made a great point the other day, John. Well, they this is part of the book that I don't think was copied in there. But his argument is that if that were true, like the scientists would be able, they have all sorts of seismic instruments and they don't show up. Yeah. They, before the earthquake, they would have been able to pick up on Those are the, highly sensitive machines. Right. So Unless the, they have even, I just can't imagine that it's higher. And sometimes it seems like it's, uh, you know, weak in advance, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just, yeah, it's pretty, pretty it's wild. It's more of that almost supernatural sort of stuff that we can't fully understand. Right. There's quite a few more stories of these sort of disaster type. Yeah. See the bit about here on uh, avalanches. This one reminds me of uh, Call of the Wild. We just saw the avalanche. Do you want to read this one? Sure. On February 23rd, 1999, an avalanche devastated the village of Galter, Trial. Tyrol. Galter, Galter. Why do we have the weirdest, <laughs> like, <laughs> I've never heard of any of these words. Not even close. Yeah. They're such tongue twisters. Galter, Tyrol, killing dozens of people. 
It was the worst avalanche disaster in Austria since 1954. The previous day, the Kamoi small goat-like antelopes came down from the mountains into the valleys, something they never usually do. The mood in the village became distinctly uneasy. That evening, the assistant manager of the hotel started talking about avalanches in the village, including one 13 years before that had destroyed a house. The following day, when the first really big avalanche hit, she lost three members of her family. Albert Ernest worked for nearly 50 years as an avalanche protection officer in the Swiss Alps, mostly in the Enns Valley, and is well acquainted with the habits of mountain animals. Quote, Again and again I observed that the Kamoi were not staying in the danger zone of the avalanche breakoffs, he said. Based on my observations, I hold the opinion that wild mountain animals have a presentiment of unsteady situations in the snow cover through an inborn instinct and behave accordingly. In surveys in villages in the Austrian and Swiss Alps kindly conducted on my behalf by Theodore Itten, the animals most often said to anticipate avalanches were kamoi, ibex, and dogs. Some dogs barked persistently for hours before an avalanche struck, and some refused to go outside. Joseph Florello of Steuben, Tyrol, who had a trained avalanche search dog, said that one morning in March 1988, the dog Come simply on, refused dog. to leave the house What's for his usual here? morning walk. It's time for Quote, our we tried walk. several times you to get him out, and after 30 minutes, a huge avalanche came down beside our house. We would have been dead if we had been outside. As in the case of earthquakes, it is not clear how these animals anticipated the coming disasters. Perhaps they reacted to electrical or other physical changes, but if so, no one knows what these changes are, or perhaps they have a more mysterious presentiment of danger. That's interesting because avalanches, I always thought, occurred due to like a sporadic change in uh, either some of the shifting ground under the snow or a loud sound. Or a so boulder. to have animals react to it and have a precognition about an avalanche hours before... Well, maybe they just know it's unsteady. That's, that's possible, yeah. yeah. Maybe they don't know it's going to happen, but they I know think that it's the a conditions magical, are right. It's a magical thought that comes into their brain. Exactly. It's supernatural. Just the, animals just see the supernatural. future. Yeah, that makes more sense. I uh, apologize if I'm getting some of the pronunciations of towns and animal species in, incorrect. They're unfamiliar. I'm not super familiar with the Austrian Other region. languages are not our native language. So. Right. <laughs> that's... Um, Redundant. So that pretty much wraps up the disaster premonitions. Yeah, that we have here. Yeah, you said this all came from a book. Yeah, it's dogs that know their owner is coming home. Okay, like Rupert, Rupert Sheldrake. Sheldrake. Okay, we we'll definitely have that in the notes. Yeah, there's some fascinating stories, and this is these are just a sampling, a small smattering, small smattering of the many stories that are out there. Yeah, so I, I thought it'd be fun to wrap up this episode. We had a friend of ours send a little article with a little video about cat people. Um, it's not actually about cat, cat people. people. It's actually it's about a technology um, which actually has been around for quite a bit of being able to see through the eyes of cats by linking uh, electric nodes into the parts of the brain. But what they discovered was kind of interesting. Did you say a node? I did. I took a Jeremy word. But these are actual electric nodes. So this comes from Petapixel.com. Oh, and thank you, Brian Kinkle, Brian King, for sending in this uh, article. In 1999, researchers led by Yang Dan at University of California, Berkeley decoded neuronal firings to reproduce images seen by cats. The team used an array of electrodes embedded in the thalamus, which integrates all of the brain's sensory input, of sharp-eyed cats. Researchers targeted 177 brain cells in the thalamus geniculate nucleus area, which decoded signals from the retina. 
The cats were shown eight short movies, and their neuron firings were recorded. Using mathematical filters, the researchers decoded the signals to generate movies of what the cats saw, and were able to reconstruct recognizable scenes and moving objects. What? So basically, the scientists were able to tap into the brain of a cat and display what the cat was seeing on a computer screen. Something similar was accomplished with humans a few years ago, and scientists believe that in the future, we may even be able to, quote, photograph human dreams. That'd be crazy. Yeah, which is, that'll get into kind of your stuff in the Patreon expansion. expansion, yeah. Uh, But the cool thing about this, and Brian was saying, he's like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's like the images that they show of humans, owners of cats, it cats, the way that they see the human face is cat-like, as if you are a giant cat living in their house. Nuh-uh. Yeah. Yeah, they said and there's they a little see, video clip if you want to check it there's out. There's like an right imprint. Center. It's like vaguely like the human face. Yeah, it's got the human outline. features, but then there's like the nose and the ears. Is that what? Yeah. It's like kind of cat like. Like it, it, I wonder if the same applies for dogs. Probably. Probably. It overlays a familiar self like image on top of the human image. It's very so. strange looking. It's not as creepy as the new Cats movie that came out. I'd say that's yeah. creepier. Yeah. <laughs> really disturbing. But this is uh, pretty creepy. Did you want to check it out real quick? I sent you the. It oh, pulled yeah. up on the TV there. That's probably the the noise of the the actual uh, neurons. That's interesting. She's talking about that static there. It looks like it might be the thoughts. It is the first time an image was tapped from a brain. Oh, weird. It proves that we can read and understand. That's very strange. It does look like a cat. The face is recognizable, but I still can't avoid the impression that the face has something cat-like. Ugh. Yeah, kind of horrifying. It's like it looks like a shapeshifter. Like it has that humanish look, but well, then it's, it's trying to analyze. Analytic. It's trying to analyze too. It's these mathematics. So what it, the computer is reading the signals from the cat's brain, yeah, right? We and got then, that. Yeah, so, the brain is interpreting. So, right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that, I mean that image was pretty ghostly, almost. Yeah, we'll definitely have to put that in the show notes, guys. That is weird. So thanks, Brian, for uh, giving me nightmares. Good uh, contribution, Mister King. That's right. I heard he's hung like a sky whale. <laughs> Brian? That's what he wrote. That's what all the ladies say. <laughs> That's a self, I believe it. Self-titled, given to himself. Hung he's, like a sky whale. He's covered in hair like a Bigfoot and hung like a sky whale. That's a great, <laughs> great self-description. Oh, man. Well, and then I said, I was going to write him back and say that uh, sky whales are low-density beings, so they don't really have large oh. genitalia. So you might want to They're very amorphous. Yeah. You, 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 you know, like, it might be very large. You wouldn't be able to do anything with it because it's just kind it's of a large jellyfish like member. Right. Very, anyway, not very effective, but impressive. Talking about Brian's wiener, we can move on. <laughs> um, um, yeah, that's creepy. That's a lot like, I don't know if we've released that off the cuff episode yet, but we had discussed how they had been doing this with humans recently. They can photograph what the brain is seeing and faces specifically. Did we talk about that on that episode? We did. Oh, I guess we should put that out. Yeah. So essentially, just to break it down quick, it was just they would photograph the brain wave somehow and they could register um people's faces that the person was seeing in the room or images of i think they were looking at headshots of people and then they would match it with the brain expressions of that moment you, you could definitely tell it was the same face you were making wow, out it's it crazy. was kind of blurry but they were yeah. able to pick that out yeah and definitely i bet 20 years from now we'll be able to share each other's dreams like so when you're like telling your friend your dream and they're like the eyes glaze over and they're like oh so boring. Yeah, you like, to be okay, there. here's the DVD. Well, put I guess in, here's put in the, a VR headset. It could turn into like movies. Like yeah. That's your entertainment. You like watch my dream. For yeah, people could have Patreon accounts where people sign up just to the get their dreams. Their <laughs> dreams, yeah. Well, if you guys are interested in lucid dreams and shared dreams and dream premonitions and terrifying nightmare nightmares, experiences, nightmare stick visit, around. visitations, dream walking from your mind to another person's dream, um, all those things are coming up in the expansion. We have some interesting stories. Are you talking stories. about children's nightmares too? Or is uh, that not so Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I have uh, do some fun anecdotes that we titled a section called "Kids Say the Darkest Things," 
Um, so if we have time, we'll get to that. Yeah, the, if not, we can pull that in another. Oh, that's things. what I read. Yeah. yeah, I do have one one bit for that for sure. So okay, cool. But yeah, it's going to get interesting, guys, in the expansion. So if you're on expansion patrons yet, get, get on, on that. It. And uh, we have a Patreon stinger for yeah. Reina. Reina. So she likes um, she likes when we do parodies. Oh, parodies. Song parody? oh okay. so and she told me you know a couple of her favorite bands. So I picked a song for her and did some lyrics to it. Who'd so. you do? We'll find out. Okay. Oh, memories. Yeah. She heard the show <laughs> on the drive home. She was intrigued by the leafhole. She said, who are these guys? They seem so really cool. And then she walked into her house. And that's about the time that Raina paid for me to make a song for her a parody. She doesn't like it when I fight with Chris. I know her favorite color's green. I hope we are a favorite show. And if you see a skin, walk up, please. Raina, let us know. <laughs> Nice. That was awesome. Oh, that's good. What about the second verse? Nah, I didn't have time. <laughs> oh, it also made me think about preteen crushes. Yeah. Yeah, that's takes I, me back. I, I hope you like that, Raina, because that song was, was stuck emotional to in work my on? No, it just got stuck in my head for like week. Well, so like, a, like a week. It was just like I'd go to sleep and it'd be like, I turn around on the drive home. I turn around. Yeah. Just like constant. So were, Blink One and Two is great with catchy riffs. What'd you sure. ask her to do at the end of it? If you see if a, you see a skinwalker, please bring a let us know. Okay, good. Okay. She has she's seen skinwalkers. Before. What? Yeah. Does we have stories from her yet? No. Okay. Send Raina, them send them in. Don't slack now. Don't slack. We need them. And then let's thank the some patrons. Oh yeah, we've got a few patrons left to thank to catch up to our long backlog of people that have signed up. We want to read the names on the show, and we'll from here on out we'll be doing that, and so it'll probably be shorter uh, coming up. This is January, right? Mm-hmm. And then we'll be catching up with February next week. All right, these are uh, new patrons from January. We just said that. January patrons, this is what I'm going to read here. (laughs) (laughs) Carly Wilson. Andy Ray. Yes. Seth Wolf. Excellent. Meet Mitch. Yes. Meet Mitch. (laughs) Meet Mitch. (laughs) He's not a vegetarian. Uh, Mitch, I mean. Mitch, thank you. Sophie Maldonado. Yes. Aaron Francescone. Yes. Wow, this is terrible. (laughs) Sorry, Aaron. Aaron's a good... Good uh, contributor too. You should pronounce his name better, but I don't think you can. Is the problem? This is going great, by the way. Michelle Darmo. Yes. Nicole. Nicole Bon Yes. Samala. What is happening? <laughs> Come there. on, dude. Sorry. Nicole Bontrager Samala. Stop. These names are as hard as the stories. I know. We love you guys. Our name's weird too, though. Parfit. Yeah, it's kind always weird. Parfit. Spelled with two T's. Who does well, that? We're not supposed to say our names. Oh, are we over that by now? You said it last episode. Oh yeah, I don't care. Okay. Aaron Harmon. Great work. Tarnia Atwell. Yes. Be More You Clothing. Lauren Boudreaux. Thank you. Yes. Aaron Law. Yes. Jose Terrazas. Thank you. Excellent. And Pat the Sack Brooks. <laughs> we love you. Special shout out to our good friend Patches because he, he won't be listening. He probably won't be listening to this. <laughs> you can waste your breath. He doesn't believe if you want. in strange things, um, but he believes in us. But he believes in us. He believes in the whole. Yeah, he helps us out with some other financial stuff for the show, so allowing us to, to use borrow some his yeah his uh, creative cloud student account. discount. You know, man, for some things. anything that helps, guys. Yeah, we love you guys. We love all of you, all patrons, special place in our hearts. We love all of our listeners, though. So kisses to you as well. Oh, do you want to mention the junk email thing? Oh yeah. Also, anybody out there who who's written to us or replied to an email but hasn't got a response back, hasn't got a response. Check your junk mail because we had some issues with our email hosting account. And we found out some people were getting our emails, but only in their junk mail. So they weren't seeing them being notified. 
So check it if you if you did sign up for Patreon or you sent us a story or just a hello and you haven't heard back yet. I think we're pretty caught up. So just double check your account and reach out to us again if you feel like it, if you don't see uh, a response. And last thing I want to ask about is we want to make sure that everybody out there who's paying for Patreon is getting the expansion episodes. They'd probably tell us if they're not, but I know there was a couple people that when we were changing the tiers around got kind of like booted out of right. the tier. So they're not actually connected to anything. and They don't have access. So if you're if you're not, I think you might have to re-sign up to actually make it work. But, but let but, us know so we can work through it, figure it out. We'll be setting up more tiers too, more options for you guys coming up. So, But thank you to everybody. If you have any issues, just reach out, let us know. We'll get right back to you. Um, and we really appreciate all the help we get from you guys yeah. and all the support. Big sonic hug from us to you guys. Yeah. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Believeful. If you guys are expansion tier listeners, stick around or head on over to Patreon and get the expansion episode. And we will see you only in dreams a little further down. See you down. Down in the hole. Goodbye. Yeah.